You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily TCU podcast. I'm Stephen Simcox, your host. It is Thursday, uh, August 14th. No, it's not. It's Thursday, August 19th. I don't know why I said the 14th. That's not even really a week apart. So not sure where I got 14th, but there you go. That kind of tells you what mindset I'm in as I start this podcast. I do expect it to be a good one, though. Let's talk some TCU football to start. And I want to talk about this defense. Um, Some interesting things happening here. I think I talked about this earlier. The secondary, I believe, is going to be really good. I also have a feeling that the linebacking core is going to be okay, right? Like, yes, you you have some new faces, Jamoy Hodge or Wyatt Harris starting at that one linebacker spot, and then also at inside linebacker, D. Winters will be there. I think D's going to fly around and be, um, you know, the next really good linebacker at TCU that has a ton of tackles. And Hodge is built like uh, a Mack truck. I mean, the dude physically looks super imposing, looks the part. Gary Patterson mentioned that in some media availability. Uh, I guess that was now almost about two weeks ago or a week and a half ago. And Harris has played. I think Hodge is definitely the guy with more upside. Wyatt Harris, though, probably has a, a better understanding just because he's been in the program longer of what they want on defense. And... Um, He's made some starts before. So you have experience there. At the safety spot, there's a lot of question marks with uh, Nook Bradford and LaKendrick Van Zant and TJ Carter, the Memphis transfer coming in. You're replacing really great safety production with our Darius Washington and Trayvon Merrick moving on. However, I, I, I feel like this defense in a lot of ways is going to go as their defensive line goes. And part of that's just football 101. I mean, if you don't get a pass rush, especially now, the way offenses move the ball around, throw the ball around. If you're not able to get in the quarterback's face, get sacks, get negative plays, and create havoc, it's going to be really hard to get off the field. If you can't create negative plays, uh, with as explosive as offenses are now, it's really difficult to find a way to get off the field. And that's one thing that GP in the 4-2-5 defense has been great at historically is being disruptive, you know, forcing teams into third and long. They didn't do a great job at times last year of of getting off the field on third and long, but getting into those, you know, behind the sticks, off schedule situations where the offense is pretty limited in what they can do. The flip side of that is on the back end, you could give up some big plays because you are being aggressive. This pass rush, though, I believe a lot of folks are excited, and rightfully so, because O'Shawn Mathis and Kyrie Coleman really came on off the edge towards the end of the season. And I think even in the interior, there was some uh, flashes there, especially in that Baylor game from some young guys who were making plays. However, the only thing I'll say about the defensive line, and one thing that gives me pause, the pass rush was really non-existent for the first, I guess, half of the season. And it was one of their biggest issues. The run-stopping game wasn't up to par. That showed up especially in the Iowa State game, even though that was their season opener. So, you give a little grace for some missed assignments in in the first game of the year. But that pass rush really started to clean up against teams like Texas Tech, Baylor, Kansas. I'm all, talk, I'm all talking about teams that have bad offensive lines. Now, they also did a pretty nice job against Oklahoma State. That's worth noting. And 
that's a, a really good offense, a team that has some, you know, good offensive linemen, had a pro NFL-ready left tackle. O'Shawn Mathis, there's been a, a lot of hype around him for a long time to the point where I think he's had a nice career and it's been somewhat overshadowed because people expected so much more from him, whether that's fair or unfair. Kyrie Coleman, expectations are sky high because, you know, he's a young guy and he made huge plays last year. Can this D-line consistently get pressure? And it's especially going to show up in games against Oklahoma, Iowa State. And I know a lot of you might say, well, nobody gets pressure against Oklahoma and Iowa State. That's part of the reason why they're so good. You got to find a way to do it. And and is this D-line elite enough to do that? Now, on the interior... Corey Bethley, senior, getting basically an extra year of eligibility with COVID. Uh, I mean, he's going to be good. I, I think he's a, he's a good run stuffer, not as not as much of a splash play type of guy, but gives you some beef and some size up front. Um, Terrell Cooper, another experienced player coming in, and then behind those guys. You know, you got Kenny Turrier and, and Patrick Jenkins. Turrier, this UCF transfer, who was productive last year. Patrick Jenkins, another player with some with some serious size. Jaquez Sorrell showed some flashes last year, especially in that game against Baylor. And on the edge behind Mathis and Coleman, even though hopefully they stay healthy, and you don't have you don't have to to go to these players a lot, even though. Um, you know, D-line, you're always going to have to have depth. Dylan Horton, Colt Ellison, two guys that have played. And Dylan Horton actually is making some noise in fall camp. He was running with the ones, I believe, according to Jeremy Clark from Horn Frog Blitz in one of the open practices. Obviously, you hope that it's those those two guys in Mathis and Coleman that are starting, but Horton has made some waves and made some things happen. This group is going to have to be really good. And they were towards the end of the season. I'm just wondering, are we going to see it against elite competition? And in my mind, that might be the difference for this defense. I feel like, I mean, safety could be a problem. And maybe I'm discounting that a little too much. I just think they have enough of a mix there of experience and good coaching in the secondary that I don't expect that to be a weakness for very long. It might be early in the season, but hopefully that gets figured out pretty quickly. Um, linebacker, I'm not too worried about, right? I'm I'm just not. Corner, I don't have any concern about. But can this D line be a difference making entity in 2021? I feel like that's going to be a huge sign of where the season goes, and you can kind of say, oh, what was what was the TCU 2021 year like? Well, a lot of it came back to the production of that defensive line. When we come back, we got an update on uh, the COVID policy for Big 12 teams this year. This is Locked on Horn Frogs. Segment two here of Locked on Horn Frogs on a Thursday, August 19th. Got it right this time. That's what happens. We improve. We don't always get it right the first time. We try not to make the same mistakes twice. That's some good coaching cliches there. So uh, some news today, and this is not really groundbreaking it sort of caught me off guard. I think it's good to know. I know folks are tired of hearing about COVID-19 and, you know, the different regulations and rules that come with it. The Big 12 did 
released today, according to Max Olson from The Athletic, that if a team cannot play because of COVID-19 protocols, the game will be deemed a forfeit. So the team that can't play will take a loss. The team that could play will get a victory. If both teams have issues and cannot play due to COVID-19 protocols, then um, it'll be deemed a no contest. And this is going to be big in the conference standings. Now, a couple of things. One, one, I don't expect this to be a huge problem. Well, I guess first we can talk TCU. TCU is 90% vaccinated, according to Gary Patterson, which is a good number. I don't know if that's going to fluctuate much. I don't expect it to change a whole lot between now and the start of the season. Maybe there's going to be some more. I just think at this point, if you're not vaccinated, there's not a whole lot people are going to say to convince you otherwise. Like, I got my vaccine. I'm fine with it. It was not a big deal to me. I know people have feelings about that, political feelings, um, conspiracy theories, ideologies, whatever you want to call it. But people have strong opinions about it. That's a better way of putting it. And if you don't have it by now, I just, I think you're probably not going to get it, which, hey, your choice, whatever. That might be different for players on the team based on the protocols they have to go through. But I think 90% is probably about where that's going to stay. I, th- I think if a football player at this point in a college program hasn't gotten the vaccine, they're probably not going to get it. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe some of these guys, if they test positive, will go ahead and get that done so they don't have to go through contact tracing. But point being, 90% vaccinated. I don't really expect to see an issue for TCU as far as not being able to play. Now you hope most of your key players are good to go and aren't going to be subject to any of these protocols. But as far as just, we can't field the team. We can't put a roster together like the SMU game last year. I don't foresee that or the, the Texas bowl against Arkansas. I don't foresee that happening. I don't know what the vaccination rate is for every big 12 team. But I would imagine it's pretty high. And another, another aspect of this is there's no roster limitations. So last season, along with the COVID-19 protocols, there were specific numbers you had to meet. You had to have 53 players that were available to play. And then you had to have a certain number of linemen, a certain number of wide receivers, linebackers, etc. So there were teams that had postponed games. Because overall, like they could, they could meet the requirements of fielding a team, but they couldn't meet the requirements of a certain position group. And especially with offense and defensive line, that was sort of an automatic, no, we can't play, because you can't just plug anybody in there up front and make things happen, right? Like it's just it's not possible. You have to have a certain size and ability level to play there. So those, those – uh, those limitations are out the window. Like, I don't foresee this really becoming an issue. Now, obviously, like, there's a certain – if you only have 40 players available, then, yeah, you can't play, right? Like, even, even if technically there's no roster limitations, that would just be stupid. Yeah, that would be stupid on the coaches to do that. Um, I think overall, though – like, surely, I, and I don't know what the contact tracing, I can't say definitively that I know what the contact tracing protocols are at this point in the process. 
the good news in my mind is, at least for TCU, I don't foresee any scenario where they have to postpone a game or forfeit a game because of not being able to meet, uh, you know, different requirements or being able to field the team given where their vaccination rate is. I don't really even think it'll be an issue across the Big 12. But just so you know, um, yeah, teams are going to be – it's going to be a forfeit, which would be huge. And I think you could argue last year maybe that should have been the situation. Now, that would have hurt TCU in a couple different instances. Uh, I mean, it hurt them in that they, they didn't get to play the games. I was looking forward to that bowl game against Arkansas. It didn't happen. But that's that's the protocol now. If you're if you're not ready to go, if can't play, it's gonna be a forfeit. If both teams can't play, it'll be a no contest. I don't really see this being a, an issue though, where it's like, oh, so and so didn't make the Big Twelve championship game because the team couldn't meet proper protocols and get ready to play. I I, I don't foresee that being um, something that comes up in the course of the 2021 football season, which is good news. We get full schedule this year. Um, we get, you know, pack stands. And I think we're going to see a, a full 12 games, including that season opener against Mighty Duquesne coming up in a couple weeks. We'll close out the week tomorrow uh, as we continue to get closer and closer to fall camp. Saturday will be two weeks away from that season opener. So we'll break down some more of these position groups talked about the D-line today. Obviously, I know a lot of you are excited about the offensive line. We talked some quarterbacks with Josh Neighbors. We talked wide receivers earlier this week. I think that's going to be a very deep position. We might look into running backs before the week is over. Uh, Even though I I really, and I think this is good news for TCU fans, I don't think there's a big reason to look much further than Zach Evans. Um, Not because there's not talent behind him, but simply because if things are going how they're supposed to, hopefully he's getting the touches, he's getting the carries, and you're not super worried about who's behind him. Running back's a position where you're going to have some um, switching out. You're going to have guys share snaps. But I think there's going to be a concerted effort to get Zach the football. So we'll discuss that on Friday. Thank you for listening to Locked On Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.